Good morning. How y'all doing? That was kind of pathetic. Is it? Are we all? Are we all sad? Um, happy summer break. I think is everybody out of school now. Yes. Is anybody still in school? If you are, I'm so sorry. Uh, so my name is John Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. Um, and a special welcome to anybody who's here for the first time. Whatever reason uh, has brought you through our doors and into our community, we are so glad that you've joined us. So welcome. Um, and one just quick community, or I'm sorry, ministry highlight that I want to point out, because uh, this is very cool, is that up in DeForest, uh, starting uh, right after their services, I think just in about an hour or so, um, they are going to be having a baptism service. And there's about four or five people up there getting baptized. And any time in our church, whether it's here or any of our other campuses, when people decide to get baptized as an act of obedience, as well as a way of publicly declaring their faith, uh, that is something to celebrate. And so we just are so excited that that's happening out there. It's awesome. Um, and if, if anybody here is in this room that is the people getting baptized, you should get going. So uh, I won't be offended if you leave right now. All right, so now for the next few minutes, I want to invite you to use your imagination with me. And here, here we go. Um, so just imagine that you are heading out on a fun summer vacation. And the place that you're going is uh, far enough away that you can drive, but that you have to stop along the way. And so after a long day of driving, you stop at, let's just say, a holiday inn. You check in, uh, you walk into your room, you start to unpack for the night, and as you're standing at the side of the bed, all of a sudden your, your toe bumps against something that's sticking out from under the bed. And you look down, and it appears to be a large briefcase. And so you bend down, you pick it up, you put it on your bedspread, and the moment you set it down, the lid pops open, and in front of you is more money than you have ever seen in one place. And as your heart begins to beat faster and your breath becomes a little short, all of a sudden you hear this knock on the door of your room. And so you're like, what in the world is going on? So you go, you open the door, and there is sitting someone that you soon discover is a lawyer representing a famous billionaire. And this billionaire is having a little bit of fun with her money, and she is giving away $5 million to random people around the country, and you are one of those people. But there's one catch, and there's truly only one catch, and it's this, that within the next 48 hours, you need to go to your savings account and swap whatever's in your savings account to get that $5 million. And so the question becomes, what are you going to do? And how does that decision change the rest of your life? Now, if you're here and you're like, but I have more than $5 million in my savings account. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you afterwards because I've got some empty briefcases and a really fun idea for you. So come and chat with me. All right, here's another question, and this is going to feel like a non sequitur, but uh, we'll bring it back together, so just hang with me. So imagine again that uh, there's a time machine, and you are able to go back in time uh, and spend a week with Jesus. And this is during the time that he's doing his ministry, and he's traveling uh, from town to town teaching. And so you're going to just be part of the crowd, and you're going to be following Jesus from uh, area to area, listening to what he has to say. Now, as you imagine that, what do you imagine is he going to talk about more than anything else? What's the number one subject that Jesus loves to talk about? Now, that's great. The way you answer that question actually tells a lot about the presuppositions, the ideas that you might have about his mission and purpose. And so some of you, you might say money. Others, 
might say caring for the poor. Still others might say um, being a good person. And yet maybe another common answer would be how to have a, a saving relationship with him. But if we answer the question, what did Jesus talk about more than anything else? What was his favorite subject? And we answer it based on what we see in the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's one answer that actually quickly rises to the top. There's one thing that he loves to talk about. But here's something that I find just really interesting, having worked in churches for a long time, is this is a topic that we rarely hear in our churches. So what was this thing? Here's the answer. Jesus loved to talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In the book of Matthew alone, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God over 50 times. So this is about one and a half uh, times per page in, in an average Bible. It's a lot. And uh, just as a quick side note, when I talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the Bible uses those really to mean the exact same thing. And so we're going to use them interchangeably. But Jesus was constantly talking about this kingdom. And what he had to say about it was bringing out huge crowds. Thousands of people were hearing to come him, hear him talk about this kingdom. And what he had to say made some people love him and others hate him. He taught that there was nothing more important than discovering and living in this kingdom. So why is, why is this kingdom so incredibly valuable? And what does it have to do with our lives today? was those questions and a whole bunch more that we are going to be exploring over the course of the summer as we start a new series called Tales of the Kingdom. And so starting today and then really through the rest of the summer, we are going to be spending time each week examining different stories. And most of these stories are going to start like this. The kingdom of God is like... And then you're going to hear a story. And some of these stories, I'm going to just tell you right now, are going to be hard for us to hear. Some are going to be confusing. You're going to be like, What? Some of them are going to come with an explanation, like right after the story, and some are not. Some of them you're going to leave, and you're going to be incredibly encouraged. And others, when you hear it, frankly, you might feel upset. Now, today we're going to look at two um, very short stories that are about the kingdom of God. But here's my goal over the next few minutes, and I think this is an ambitious goal, uh, but I'm excited by the challenge, and it's this. For the next few minutes, I'm going to try to help set a framework for what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the kingdom of God and why is it of utmost importance to our lives. So, are you with me? Four of you. Awesome. <laughs> great. All right, so here we go. You four, we're going to have a great time. Everybody else, I don't know. That's cool. Okay, so early on in Matthew, uh, we see Jesus' public ministry starting right after the arrest of John the Baptist. And here's what Matthew writes in chapter 4, uh, verse 17. He says this. <coughs> oh, and also, actually, quick, before we get into that, let me say one quick side note. So usually when we uh, have sermons here, we'll have a chunk of passage that we kind of go through it together. Uh, we encourage you to open your Bibles, bring them with you or on your phones or whatever. But today... It's going to be a little different. We're going to be all over the place. And so all the verses will be up on the screen as we go. And I'll reference them in case you're taking notes. Um, so there you go. Now, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. From that time on, so right after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Now, there's a lot packed into this one short little verse. And this word repent, um, I think for many of us in our culture today, it comes with some baggage. When I think of the word repent, it's not necessarily a real positive word. But when Jesus is talking here, all he's simply saying is stop, pay attention, and then go another direction. So stop whatever it is you're doing, whatever business you're up to, whatever activities are consuming your time, stop for a moment. And then pay attention. Use your eyes to see, your ears to hear what is going on around you because something incredibly important is happening. And then based on what you observe, change directions. Let me give an illustration um, from, this is from coaching youth soccer. So over the last few years now, uh, I've had the opportunity to coach my son's elementary or early elementary soccer team. Um, And I grew up playing soccer, so I love soccer. I'm pretty competitive. I like winning. But at this age group, what's fun about it is they're all just kind of getting started. And so it really is more about having fun than it is about winning. And uh, they're just learning, like, the basic skills. And so sometimes, uh, as they're just learning, when they get out on the field uh, in the midst of the game, they get so excited that they they get a little mixed up. And what I love about this is if you've ever been to a five-, six-, seven-year-old soccer game, it's just like this little clump that travels around (laughs) together. And every once in a while, the ball squirts out, and the clump moves as fast as you can. And um, It's great. Now, more than once during the game, a, a player on either team, but let's just say on my team because I'm the one coaching it, gets the ball. And in their excitement, they're so pumped that they have it that they just like take off as fast as they can in the wrong direction. (laughs) And at least on one occasion, the player has been good enough where the whole clump is following them, but they're fast enough and getting away enough and so excited that they actually go and they score a goal for the other team. (laughs) And in those moments, I love to like catch a peek over at the parents because the player's like so pumped. They're like, I scored. Mom and dad are like, yeah. Am I cheering? Am I disappointed? I don't know. And as a coach, my job, when I see a player get the ball and start going the wrong direction, is to lovingly but clearly communicate, stop and go the other way, right? And when they listen, that's, that's a good thing. And it's good for them. It's good for the whole team. Now, because I'm a pastor and a coach, the very first time this happened, I actually yelled, repent. <laughs> and that got weird really fast. I... I didn't do that. That's not true. I'm more self-aware than that. But that's what it means to repent. And so Jesus was going around, and to this, the audience around him, he was saying, stop, pay attention. Why? Because the kingdom of God was near. Now, what was the significance of this announcement to the original audience? Because it's really helpful for us to understand that, to be able to understand the rest of the stories. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a 30,000 flyover view of the biblical story going all the way back to Genesis to help us better understand the context of what they heard when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. So the first time that we see this image of the kingdom is on the very first page of our Bibles in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Let me read them to you. And again, the words will be up on the screen. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so we see that God makes people in his own image. And if you look at these verses, you see also that we, his image bearers, are created to rule the creation. And then just a few verses later, God is looking out over what he's made and he observes that it is very good. The way it's created, the way it's structured. 
is good. God is with us. And this newly formed kingdom is, is, is as it should be. But as you may know, the story doesn't last very long this way, does it? Because quickly, the human beings, they rebel. And out of this desire to go their own way, and they start to create these counter kingdoms. And that's really the story that we see unfolding throughout much of Genesis, where the human beings go out, and one of the first things they do is they start creating their own cities. They build their own kingdoms. And these kingdoms are made in the image of man, and they're wrought with violence and justice and wickedness. But then God calls this unexpected couple, a couple by the name of Abraham and Sarah, and he makes a promise to them. And here's what the promise is in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. This is God talking to them. I, this is God, will make you, Abraham and Sarah, into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And we see that God fulfills this promise to Abraham and Sarah because they're descendants. They become the Hebrew people. They become a nation. And at the beginning of Exodus, we see that this group of people, they are trapped under the oppressive and evil rule of Pharaoh and Egypt. And God has witnessed their suffering. In fact, the suffering has been going on for hundreds of years now. And so God calls this guy named Moses to free his people. And then shortly after freeing his people out in the desert, he brings the people together and he instructs them. He tells them this, that you are a chosen people, that you are to be different than the other nations around you. And one of the marks that should make you different is that I, God, am going to be your king and you're going to live under my rule. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And so we see there that he, he calls them to be holy. And holy just means to set, be set apart, to be different, so that when other nations observe them and observe how they live, how they worship, how they treat each other, they should stand out, they should be different. And yet, as we read the story of Israel throughout the Old Testament, we see that they quickly fail at being different than the other nations, right? They had some good periods of time. They had some times of obedience. But overall, they become quickly like the nations around them. And as you zoom out and kind of look at the macro picture, what you see is that they become just like Egypt. They become equally oppressive and corrupted and worshiping other gods. And therefore, God brings judgment upon his people and allows foreign nations to come in, invade, and conquer them. And the people are sent out into exile away from home. And thus begins a really dark period of their history. And yet, even in the midst of that darkness, there's these prophets that come along and say, wait, there's a coming hope. There's a glimmer of hope. They say that God has not forgotten his people. And then a time is coming when God is going to send a new kingdom. There's going to be a new rule, a new age for his people, a new kingdom. And so fast forward up to Jesus' time. Every Jewish child was raised on these stories of hearing about God's created perfect kingdom, but then their own messed up history. And then finally, this coming hope for a new kingdom. And now the Jewish people had been waiting for this for hundreds of years. And so you can imagine now, as Jesus comes on the scene, teaching and preaching and praying and healing and saying, I've, with me has come a new kingdom, it's got their attention. Right? It's created this buzz where people are saying, is it, it, could it really be? Is he really the one? Is this the hope we've been waiting for? 
Like, is this the time where we get to become a nation, again, where we can find freedom that we've been longing for? And so with that in mind, let me read again Matthew 4, 17, and consider this verse through the lens of this larger story. So let me read it again. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Here's the crazy thing that's happening here is that Jesus is proclaiming that he is this coming king that they have been waiting for. The king has arrived. And the kingdom is anyone who's his followers. And this is the message, this is why it was so electrifying to the crowds, right? This is why thousands of people were coming out to hear this. It's also why those who were in leadership were deeply troubled because it threatened everything that they had. God's rescue plan was underway and a new kingdom was here. However, this kingdom that Jesus was talking about and living out was different than what people expected, right? It didn't lead to uh, an overthrow of the Roman Empire or the beginning of a new Jewish state. So what was the sort of kingdom that he was talking about? Well, I want to point out a few characteristics that I, I think we're going to see throughout all summer and throughout all the stories. And these are defining qualities of the kingdom of God. One of them is this, that a defining feature of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed is this already, not yet reality. Now, what do I mean by that? It means this, that the kingdom of God is here right now. It's not just some future thing that we're hoping for, that it's present in our world today. It was present then in the time of Jesus. It's present now. And it's present whenever God's people are living under God's rule. And when that happens, when we see God's people living under the the rule of King Jesus, we catch glimpses of this kingdom. We never get to see it fully, right? But we get little glimpses of that hope, that beauty. Here's how uh, Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 12. He says this, For now we see through a glass darkly, right? So you just, you can picture that, like just kind of, you catch glimpses, it's blurry, but you, you, you know it's there. But then, this is the future hope, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And so there's a coming time when Jesus is going to return and inaugurate his kingdom once and for all. And God's people will live under his perfect, just, and good rule forever. And we will be with God and our deepest longings will find fulfillment in him. This is the glorious hope of being a Christ follower. And back, like in the garden, we will be with God and the kingdom will be as it should be. And so the kingdom of God is this already, not yet, reality. Another quality of the kingdom of God that we're going to see run through all kinds of different stories is that the kingdom of God is this upside-down kingdom. When Jesus came, he came and taught and demonstrated a way of living that stood in stark contrast to the kingdom of man. It stood out. It was different. Let me just share a, a really simple illustration that I find really helpful. Uh, hopefully it will be helpful to you too. So the kingdom of God, man, rather, is like a triangle. So here's, there you go, like super high tech right here, but hopefully this will help you. So a triangle, so right, so the further you get towards the top, the less space there is. And the thing that about just what we value both in our culture, and I think this really crosses cultures and times, is that the most important thing is to try to get as close to the top as you can. And this can be true for individuals. It can be true for communities of individuals, right? And so trying to get to the top might mean more money, more possessions, more pleasure, more power. 
But the most important thing, the thing that we dedicate our lives to is trying to get up and to the right, always closer to the top. And because we have a scarcity mindset or a scarcity reality in some cases, the more I have means more for me and, and less for you. And I'm okay with that. This is competition. Who can be the king of the hill? And this is the defining reality of the kingdom of man. But the kingdom of God comes and it flips all of this on its head. It's like an upside down triangle. So let me just give a few illustrations. So the world says this, the more stuff you have, the better. This is like consumerism 101, right? But Jesus taught, it is better to give than receive. Acts 20, 35. The world says that those who are in last place, those are losers. (laughs) And those who are in first place, those are winners. And we want to be winners. But he taught, the last shall be first and the first last. Matthew 20, 16. The world teaches this, that greatness is all about having power and influence. These are our cultural heroes. These are the people we look up to and we want to be like one day if we're not like them already because that's where it's at. When I have power and influence, then I matter. But he taught that greatness was all about being last of all and servant of all. Mark 9, 35. The world says that we are to defeat our enemies at all costs. The goal is to wipe them off the face of this earth. But he taught, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Luke 6, 27 and 28. Whew. (laughs) And time and time again, Jesus explains this kingdom of God as this reality where the norms of our world are flipped on their heads. And we're going to see this over and over and over again over the course of the summer. And here's the thing. Here's what, I know this is going to happen. At certain moments when we're talking about the upside down kingdom, because of how you're wired and the passions God's given you, you're going to be like, yes, amen, I love it. I hope everybody else is paying attention. There's other times that it's going to be upsetting. It might even make you angry. Because when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's about our money. It's about our relationships. It's about our religion. It's about our time. It's about all of who we are and all that God has made us to be. And the kingdom of God invites us to reorient every part of who we are under the rule of King Jesus. And there's no part of us that's excluded from that, right? You're not separating it out. There's not work you and church you and family. No, you're you. And you're invited to bring all of it under the rule of King Jesus. And this might sound scary to some of us. Right? If we're being self-aware enough and we're, we're already having this introspective moment of like, wait a second, I realize how much of me is not oriented around King Jesus. But here's the other truth of the kingdom. It is that It is a kingdom of great joy where we find new life and hope. It's this upside-down kingdom where we actually are going to discover that God's way is better. It's like swapping out whatever's in your savings account for $5 million dollars. Told you I'd bring that back. There it is. (laughs) The kingdom of God, it is of great value. Let me just uh, highlight this with a couple stories. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 44, here's the two really short stories about the kingdom of God. Here's the first one. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, rather, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. 
Now, back in those times, um, there was no banking system like we have today, right? So people didn't like take their possessions and leave them in the bank uh, and safe keep them there. Uh, and so what the, it was common for people to take whatever valuables they might have and actually hide them on their property, whether it was in the ground or in part of their house or something like that. Um, and it was also not unheard of that people would have to leave their property quickly, whether it's like invading armies or some other traumatic event. And so this story that Jesus is telling to the original audience, this was both believable and relatable. They're like, oh yeah, I totally understand how this sort of thing could happen. And what Jesus is saying here is this man found something so valuable that it was worth giving up everything else he had so that he could possess it. Possess it. And in doing so, he came out ahead, right? You see that in the story. And here's something else that I think is really fascinating that is really important to catch. And it's this. That this story is not about sacrifice, is it? If you look at the verses, it's not about sacrifice. It's about a joyful abandonment for something better. Now, here's the, the second story, and it's very similar. It starts in verse 45. Again, a very short story. It says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, one uh, notable difference in this story versus the last one is that this person is actually looking for something. Right? They're seeking it out. They don't stumble across it. In this case, they're looking for it. And they also have the wisdom and the knowledge to know that when they've found it, they realize the value that it has. And they realize that it is worth selling everything else they have to go out and get it. Now, let me bring this home for us. Like the original audience, we are invited to repent, to stop, to pay attention, because the kingdom of God is here. And each and every one of us is invited to bring all of who we are, all that what we have under the rule of King Jesus and into the kingdom of God. And this is an invitation that shouldn't be threatening. It's not a drag. In fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> it's like being given $5 million in place of whatever you have in savings. It's like stumbling across the most valuable thing you can possibly imagine and then realizing that you get to keep it. Right? When that happens, we are happy to make that exchange. And being part of the kingdom of God mean that, means that our lives are being constantly reoriented around King Jesus and that every aspect of who we are is informed and transformed by the power of God's spirit. And here's the really cool thing that's going to happen is we're going to go through these different stories and each of these stories is going to help us to reorient ourselves to help keep Jesus or put Jesus back at the center of our lives. We're invited into this upside-down kingdom where we are going to learn and discover a better way to live. And it's a way of living, I'm just going to tell you right now, is going to feel counterintuitive, right? It's going to go against the flow of culture and the norms that you've grown up with in many cases. And it might, if you live it out, it might look a little weird to your neighbors. <laughs> but here's the truth. It's the way of life. It's the way of hope. I love this quote. Uh, this is by a guy named Henry Nouwen. He wrote this. The way of Jesus is radically different. It is the way not of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It is going to the bottom, staying behind the sets, and choosing last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it's the way of the kingdom. It's the way Jesus took. And it's the way that brings everlasting life. And so as I wrap up here in just a, a moment, I want to take a few moments and have us really reflect on this one question. Do we really believe that there's nothing more valuable than being part of the kingdom of God? 
Do we really believe that? Like, in the core of who we are, do we, because, right, like, we're at church, so we know this is the right answer, but do we really believe it reflected by our thoughts, our actions, the way we use our time, our money, our resources? Do we really believe that there's nothing more important than being part of the kingdom of God? And is it, get, is it worth giving up those other things that we hold dear for the sake of it? Matthew 6, records these words of Jesus. He says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, I think for many of us, and I know this is true of myself as I wrestle with this, uh, man, on an ongoing basis, is the ability to prioritize the kingdom of God above all else comes down to an issue of trust. Do we really trust that Jesus' way is better? Do we really trust that? Do we trust Jesus enough to live under his rule versus our own? Because that d- means letting go of a sense of, of, like, that you're in control, right? And that can feel scary. And so we uh, have intentionally created a little space here at the end of the service for us to go into a time of just silent, prayerful reflection. Because I can't answer that question for you. But I believe that the Spirit of God wants to speak to you and, and have a conversation with you. And what I want to invite you to do over a couple minutes here, as the band will come up, they'll play some music in the background, is just to wrestle with what is it really of, of greatest importance in your life? Is it living under the rule of King Jesus or is it something else? And as you process that in prayer and, and hopefully listen as well, I just invite you to be honest, right? As you're talking to God, you're not going to surprise him. You're not gonna, God's not going to be like, whoa, <laughs> did not see that one coming, <laughs> right? God already knows. And here's the amazing and beautiful truth is he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he longs for you to be part of the kingdom with him. And as we pray, one final thing I do, and I, I just want to suggest this because our bodies, our minds, our spirits are all interconnected, is that you would sit and as you pray to close your eyes and then take out your hands and put them on your lap with your palms facing forward, your hands open as a way of just symbolizing, releasing control and praying that you might be a person who seeks first the kingdom of God above all else. And that is my hope and my prayer for you as individuals and for us as a church, is that we would be that kind of community. So let me pray for us as we lead into this time of reflection and prayer. God, I praise you that you sent your son Jesus and that when he came, he brought with him a new kingdom, a new way of living under his rule and his authority. And I confess to you and confess on behalf of our church that there's probably lots of images and ideas about the kingdom of God that are just like the original audience are not in line with actually the truth. And so I just pray that over in these moments and over in these coming weeks that you would help reorient our hearts and our minds around the true kingdom of God and that we might desire living under your rule more than anything else and trust that that is the better way to live. And for these next few moments, thank you that you're here in this space with us now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Thank you that you speak in your name. Amen.